0: Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. There should be a black hardback somewhere near you. If you need a Bible, it's our gift to you. You can take that with you today, Acts chapter 10. We're continuing through the series in Acts. We've been there since... January, and we'll be there for some time moving forward. Uh, So we will, however, over the next uh, month, take a couple of Sundays to address missions and to address ministry in a a post-COVID church, right? So things look a little bit different this year. And and so uh, we're beginning to ramp things back up. Uh, But this morning, we're in Acts chapter 10, and and really the title of this one is There's No Place for Prejudices and Divisions in the Church. There's no place for it. And you're going to see how God is moving to eradicate those even in the early days of the church and how as we look at our culture and our and our nation and our world, that this is still something that needs to be eradicated in the church as well today. And so uh, just real quick, I didn't know Jonathan was going to make the announcement about May Day, but I'll also make the announcement about May Day. May 16th actually is... Approximately one year since we came back to in-person services. Can you believe that? Uh, it's been it's been a it's been a fun ride, right? Everyone's enjoyed it. Now we're ready to get off the COVID train. But you know it's been a, it's been a good ride. Uh, so it's really a Mayday out for all members, future members, uh, regular attenders, uh, visitors, everyone to come in and really talk about the future of the church as we as we look ahead. Now. Uh, the next one, I'm going to give you some, some different statistics on that day, but I'm going to go ahead and tease you with one right here. This is a statistic based on what our, our attendance has looked like, and today uh, we're going we're gonna to help that, that number out, evidently. So that's pretty cool. In-person attendance has uh, basically been 75% of where we were before COVID hit. And, and you might be like, oh, really? Well, national average is anywhere from 70 to 80. So we're, you know, we're just average. You know, we're a good average church. No, I'm just kidding. So, uh, so we're, we're right there. So 25% in the gray are those that have not come back to in-person services. And we understand there's different reasons for that. Uh, and so we're, we're seeing that number decrease. Uh, but blue is those who have attended before March of 2020, 39% of you. Now, what's crazy about this is this is what I've been saying for weeks now. I look out here and I don't know all of you because there's 36% of you who have come in the last year. So I want you to do, do something for me. Just stand up and just do this. Just look around because we're still not allowed to touch each other, I guess. But we can't we can, like, we can like air high five one another. But hey, just wave at one another. Hey, I don't know you. Uh, hey, welcome. We're so glad to have you. You know, like there's a little bit of that. All right. All uh, right. Well, don't get carried away. You can have a seat. Don't get carried away. Uh, it's been a long time since we did the holy handshakes, but you know. Um, so I wanted everyone to see each other. So if you if you come in today, you're like, I just don't really know a lot of people. Neither does anyone else. It's okay, right? <laughs> Neither does anyone else. So uh, what's really encouraging about this, and you may have not have seen this, but there's there's a little line out of there since since March of 2020. We've celebrated over 25 new members and 12 of them have been through baptism in the last year. So when I say God's doing something, God's doing something. Because there's there's no explanation in a year where all the things are going crazy, but he is still advancing his kingdom and we're we're excited and listen there's more people sign up for the next membership class and if that's something that you're interested in, there's a sign-up sheet out there uh, for you uh, to, to join us here as, as part of the body, as a member of the body. Uh, but we have more already signed up. We have more already scheduled for baptisms in May. And so uh, we're we're just super excited to see how God is continuing to move us forward for his kingdom. And so uh, what a wonderful time. What a wonderful time to be here. Uh, that morning will be two-part. I'll do the first part. That'll be the 930, 945. You know how we get started late around here. Uh, but we'll have some donuts, some coffee for you. I'll do the first uh, hour there and talk about the state of the church and and what God's doing and have more statistics. And then the second hour will be our graduate recognition Sunday, but also uh, we have a baptism schedule that day, a day of celebration, and, and really a day to recast vision on the fact that we are to be a generation and a church that hands the baton of faith off to the next generation. Because all the statistics that I've been looking at says that what COVID has done is it's even furthered the gap between the amount of kids who stay in church after they graduate. Now, when I was a youth pastor for you know, almost 20 years, that statistic was 1.5, roughly one out of 10 kids stay in church after they graduate. But now there's another statistic that's creeping up and there's 22% of kids who graduate who don't just walk away from church, they walk away from their faith entirely. And so we're seeing those numbers increase as as there's more and more separation taking place and and less activity and less discipleship. And so it's a morning to talk about the purpose of the church in discipling the next generation, the advancement of God's kingdom. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's get back to God's word. It's about advancing God's kingdom. There's no place for prejudices and divisions in the church. So if you have your Bibles, you'll see there in the last verse of chapter 9, verse 43, it says, and he stayed in Jopa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, if you're reading that culturally or if you're a teenager, uh, you might think, oh, this is a, this is a, a beach house and he's staying with a guy that's known in town for laying out in the sun. That's not, that's not what that means at all. In fact, it means that he takes skins from uh, dead animals and he turns them into leather. So like he's kind of in that trade. And if you're a Jew and you see this, that's a lot of death and that makes it unclean. So you don't want any part of that. But see, Peter's already beginning to see these divisions and these prejudices kind of be removed in his life because God wants to do something in the church to advance his kingdom. And sometimes he has to put us in uncomfortable situations to take away the prejudices that we hold in our heart from our culture, from our backgrounds, from our understandings, so that he can use us to advance his kingdom. And that's exactly what's about to take place. I don't have to tell you that this is a hot topic sermon because there are all kinds of prejudices in our world right now. The word prejudice means to prejudge, uh, to prejudge based on preconceived opinions that's not based on reason or actual experience, but, but on cultural, ethic, political, religious, and even racial biases, And what we've seen over the last several months, years, we've seen a division that is being driven between brothers and sisters in Christ. And these divisions can range from anything, from political divisions to whether or not to wear a mask, to whether or not to get a vaccine, race issues, social injustice. And so there's all these divisions being driven into the lives of of those who would call themselves Christians and so what happens is if we're not careful we begin to see people as opponents. Oh, they don't believe what I believe. They don't they don't hold the same values that I hold. As one pastor said, right now the political process is built upon accentuating our differences and keeping us blind to the fact that others who have different opinions, practices, beliefs and political affiliations are not enemies to defeat, but rather people made in the image of God who are loved by God and who God wants to have a personal relationship with. Listen, we are not here to have enemies. And when God wants to eradicate prejudices and divisions in the church, he does that in our hearts first so that he could advance his kingdom to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And if we hold on to these, we're hindering that movement. So Peter's hanging out with this guy who lays out in the sun a lot. No, he's hanging out with some Simon, a tanner, and he's there, and he's about to be used by God in a mighty way to unlock the key to the Gentile church, and as we get into Acts chapter 10, we see that the reason Cornelius is such an important character in the book of Acts is because we are all here, those of us who are Gentiles, because God opened up the door to the Gentile nation to come in to the kingdom. When it comes to us being a witness, which is what we've talked about over and over and over in Acts, God wants to use us as a witness to further his kingdom. When it comes to being a witness in the world full of divisions and prejudiced attitudes, we need to be the reason someone loves Jesus and not the reason people hate Christians. We need to be the reason people fall in love with Jesus. So I'm going to give you three areas of concern and then how God is going to eradicate that in the story with Peter and Cornelius. So here's three areas Of prejudice and divisions that need to be eradicated. Number one, racial and ethical prejudice and divisions. Now we'll get into this here in just a second, but it's pretty self-explanatory that there are things that range from skin color to cultural heritage to language to dress, you name it, that cause us to have prejudgments on people. So let's take, for instance, someone comes in and they've got their baggy jeans around their, uh, their hip area here and they're showing their underwear, how many of you would have a preconceived judgment on that person? I didn't really want you to show hands, but hey, good for you. Wait, I'm just glad you feel comfortable, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a safe place, Jeff. It's a safe place. You know, we do, we we have these judgments based on dress and, and color of skin and, and things like that that God wants to fully eradicate because he's forming for himself one body and one people from every tribe, tongue and language and he's making them his people. So he's wanting to eradicate that. So I'll get into that here in just a second. The second one is religious preferences and prejudices and divisions. And what I mean by this is not just that, it's not just that there's, there's, you know, excusing of sins, but that we view Christianity culturally sometimes. And so we have preconceived notions and prejudices based on what we've been raised in. And the last one would be this. It's uh, the reflect, the reflectionary prejudice, which I made up. So it's not really a term. So uh, reflectionary, which means when you look in the mirror, you see your reflection. And without us knowing it, sometimes if you will look at those who surround you, they look a lot like you do. And you don't, you don't even mean to do that. But you begin to surround yourself with people who think like you, hold the same political values as you. You surround yourself with people who dress like you, who act like you, who have the same hobbies as you. And we begin to do this unintentionally, but then we begin to alienate those that God could bring into the kingdom through diversity. So, number one, As we get into this section of scripture here, um, you're gonna see how Cornelius is brought in and he's of a different ethnic background. He's a Roman centurion. He's there. He's a Roman who oppresses the Jews. We're gonna see how Peter in verse 34 is gonna say, uh, so Peter opened his mouth and said this, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So this would address the religious preferences. There's people from every tribe, language, and tongue, different countries. Now, if you were to go and be in a worship service this morning in Haiti, uh, I can guarantee you that that worship service will look a little bit different than our worship service did this morning. And as long-winded as I might be, it it won't even touch how long they're in worship this morning, okay, because they get up, when the rooster crows and they just keep going. And uh, it just looks a lot different than, than how we function on a Sunday morning. Now, when we travel to Germany and pray for our German brothers and sisters, the church there that we uh, dearly love, I'm, I'm under the understanding they're still under quarantine. They're still, they're still shut down. And so pray for them as they struggle to figure out how to gather together as the body of believers. But if you go to Germany I can can guarantee you that the German brothers and sisters participate and do things differently in their culture than we do in our southern culture of Christianity. And if we go in with preconceived notions and prejudices, we'd be like, oh, I didn't know good Christians did things like that. And so it's a little bit different. And then the last one is reflectionary. Real quick, Gandhi shares in his autobiography that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by reading the Gospels. And seriously considered becoming a convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that divided his people in India. Look, there's all these divisions. This, this seems to be the answer as he reads the Gospels. And so one Sunday, he attended a church service and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left there and never came back. He says, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. We may not realize it, but in our communication of our witness of Jesus Christ, 35% of that is verbal and 65% of that is nonverbal. So when someone you're introduced to is full of tattoos and they have piercings all over their face and they're dressed a little differently than you are what's your disposition, tell them. When you're introduced to a same-sex couple or you encounter a crossdresser, what is your verbal and nonverbal communications towards that person? How do you speak and act when you find yourself in a conversation with someone who holds a very different political value system than you do? How would you respond if you were to find out that a Muslim family was moving into the door, the house right next door to you? You see, sometimes God wants to put us in uncomfortable situations so that he can use us to further his kingdom. And to do that, he has to eradicate the prejudice and the divisions that we hold in our heart. So let me pray, and we'll finally get to Acts chapter 10, okay? Father, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is life. Your word is breathed out by you. It is good for correction. It's good for understanding. It's profitable this morning, I pray, Lord, that it would be profitable to us, that our hearts would be open, that you would find the, the soil of our hearts to be fertile ground, that, Father, the word of God would be, would be implanted in us, and that it would produce a fruit, some 60, some 70, some 100-fold. God, that you would begin to do a mighty work in our midst because you want to use us to further your kingdom. Father, today, as we come in here and as we worship, Lord, if there's sin in our hearts, that we have had exposed by your word. Lord, help us to lay them down and to repent because you are a forgiving God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word in Christ's name. Amen. First thing, Christ is working in our hearts to eradicate prejudices and divisions in the church through humble openness to others. Humble openness. So here we go. Starting in verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He is lodging with, a, with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, verse 9, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this verse right here is every hunter's life verse, right? I mean, you've got it written somewhere on your gun, I'm sure. So, verse 14, But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and a second time. What God has made clean, do not call it common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. I like to call this the pigs in the blankets section of scripture. And uh, what we see here is that God is working to eradicate prejudice, attitudes, and divisions that exist that are hindering the advancement of his kingdom. And so he's doing it by reaching out to two very different men in pretty much the same way. He's opening up their hearts in in humility to what God has for them. You've got Cornelius, verse 2, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. What's interesting about Cornelius is he, he is not in the church, but he is a devout man. He's praying. He's trying his best to be religious. He's going through the motions. He even wants to be such a good dad that he's doing these things in his household. So his kids are raised in a Christian home. But as one pastor said, just because you're in church doesn't mean you're in Christ. And so you need to be careful that you're not just a devout person who follows rules that have been handed down to you based on the cultural Christianity that you were raised in, but that you are actually someone who has surrendered their heart and life to Jesus Christ. But this man, Cornelius, he's a praying man. Look at what it says in verse 9 about Peter. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. These are praying men. When God wants to speak to us, He wants to speak to us through His Word. And for us us to understand what God has for us in His Word, we got to be able to spend time with Him in prayer. Genuine prayer humbly opens up our hearts, not to get God on our agenda but for us to get on his agenda. When we pray, we're not trying to just bring things to God and say, here's all the things I need. I need you to help me out here. I need you to do these things for me. No, when we pray, when we humbly open our hearts up to God, we come to him and say, all right, I realize that I'm doing my life this way. If you need to step in here and stop things because of what's going on, get me on your agenda. Get me on your page, God. This is why Jesus teaches so much about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, hold your finger there, flip over to Matthew chapter six. Now, as Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching this in such a way that is to reveal to them that, hey, the law isn't good enough. You can't be righteous based on how well you follow the law. You only find righteousness in Jesus Christ and submitting your life to him. So when I talked through this several years ago, I had the tagline, it's better to be righteous than right because you can do all the right things and still not have Christ and still not be righteous. So better to be righteous than right. So he gets to this point, Matthew chapter six. This should be somewhat familiar for many of us. Starting verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Let me pause right there. Do you see the intimacy that takes place when when Jesus, God in the flesh, talks to you about how to pray? When Jesus talks to us about how to pray, because we pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's saying when you pray, this is an intimate conversation. This is a this isn't just saying words when you sit down at your at your meal or words when you go to bed. This is a time for you and God to be on the same page. And so when you do this, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be up there just praying so everybody can hear you. Don't do all of that. Don't don't imp, don't do all these you know. Christianese words. You don't have to do all that. God knows what you want. God knows, God knows your heart. Spend time with him. So he says, pray like this. And this should be very familiar. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sound familiar? There's a there's a humility that takes place here. Number one, there's there's humble adoration. Hallowed be your name. Holy, holy, holy. I'm about to bow my knee before the God of the universe who holds all things in his hands. He controls all things. He's sovereign over all things. God, you're a holy, holy God. And it is by your son's sacrifice and his work of atonement that I'm even allowed to speak to you right now. And so I come in here and I bow before you because you're a holy God. Humble adoration when you pray. Then humble submission. Not my will, but your will be done. God, I come and you're a holy God and you know all things and and I have such a finite understanding of the world and things and I know that I come in here with with scars on my heart. I know I've been wounded and I view people with prejudices and divisions and God, you know that there's things in my life that I need to repent of. So God, get me on your page. Then humble supplication. Give us this day our daily bread. Help us. God we thank you for, please forgive us but help us to forgive others help us to be the reason people love Jesus lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one we are in desperate humble need so my question as we just graze the surface of this section of scripture are you someone who is known as a person of prayer Are you someone who bows your knee before a holy, holy God in humble openness to whatever he says to you? Because God wants to speak to us through his word and he wants to lead us by his presence. So a devout man, verse 2, who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, I love this, and he stared at him in terror. (laughs) Would you not do the same? What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa to bring one Simon, who is called Peter. What is interesting about this is that God is at work In the hearts of people, and we don't know who he's working on. We can have a preconceived notion, we can have a prejudice, we can have divisions, but it doesn't change the fact that God is working in people's hearts that we don't even know. And the angel doesn't present the gospel. What does the angel say? I want you to send for this guy because he's a messenger. He has the gospel. Listen, church, God wants to use his church to give his message to those who are perishing. This is his plan A, like we talked about last week. This is it. He wants to use his church to advance his kingdom. And he's working in the hearts of people all around us. He's nudging them. He's leading them. He's causing them to have spiritual questions. He's giving them a deep hunger a satisf- uh, that they can't be satisfied. I keep filling my life with things, but it just doesn't work. And so Where is the church to come alongside? I know why you're hungry. I know why things don't fill your life with satisfaction the way they should, should, because there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that desperately needs to be filled by God. I was reading the story this week about a missionary in a dangerous part of the Middle East, and uh, he started having an underground church. Locals tried to discover the location of that assembly in order to persecute the believers there, but they couldn't find it. Late one night, the missionary heard a knock at the door of the secret church. He cautiously opened to see a tribesman standing there before him. The man explained that he had, he had hiked for days in order to find this missionary. He said, I had a vision three days ago that there would be a man standing at this address who would tell me how to get to heaven. Sir, are you that man? Is that remarkable? God reveals himself. He nudges. He leads people. He causes people to yearn for something that is eternal. And he wants to use his church to speak that truth to those who are lost. But if we have prejudices, if we have divisions, we might be hindering the advancement of his gospel. Verse nine. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a hill on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, the reptiles, the birds of the air. And there came a voice to him Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And it happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Poor Peter, right? What is it with Peter and, and threes, right? I mean, he denies three times. Jesus has to restore him three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And then he comes to him, and he says, look, Nothing's unclean. Peter, nothing's unclean. Peter, nothing's unclean. Like, how, how dense are you? Like, how can I get this into your mind? Listen, we're the same way. We know the cross, but we often forget the implications of the cross. We know that God is, He's saved those who are in every tribe, tongue, and nation. We know that people that don't look just like us, God is drawing to himself, but we need to be reminded over And over and over, God wants to use you for the kingdom. As John Piper says, the bloodline of Jesus is thicker, deeper, stronger than any bloodline of race, ethnicity, or even family. God is drawing people together to a family of God that is thicker than any other blood. Let me ask you is God trying to get your attention? I don't know what your personal time of God looks like this week, but is there something that God keeps saying to you in conversation, something that God keeps saying to you in his word, something that you keep thinking about as you pray, that God just keeps, just keeps, hey, three times, three times, three times. When will God finally open up your heart in humility to say, God, I'm on your page. Your will be done, not mine. Second thing is this. Christ is working in our hearts to eradicate prejudices, And divisions in the church through no hesitation obedience. Let's read verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, men who were sent by Cornelius, having made a journey to Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you rise and go down, and accompany them, here it is, without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say what an interesting section of scripture. The thing that I got out of this is that Peter's told to go without hesitation. No hesitation, obedience. Now, as a parent, I understand fully hesitant obedience, right? If you're a parent, you understand hesitant obedience all the time, because what you'll say is, no offense, kids, what you'll say is, hey, go clean your room, and they'll go upstairs, or they'll go to their room, and they'll not clean their room, right? They'll go in, they'll get on their phone and they'll TikTok it up or whatever they're doing. And, uh, and then you'll go by and you'll say, hey, I told you to clean your room. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm doing it. Well, nothing has changed since the last time I asked you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it, I'm getting to it, all right? So then some more time goes by and you go, hey, did you clean your room? Well, I started, I'm, I'm doing it. I, I'm in the process, I haven't really done it yet. And there's, there's this hesitation to obedience that if it goes along, and I've, I've caught on to this. Maybe you've caught on to this. If it goes on long enough, the window of opportunity for obedience closes, and now we got to leave the house. We have other things to do. Oh, I'll clean it later. And they're like, I dragged my feet long enough. I got out of it. Right? I'm looking at y'all. Look, You're even nodding your head like, yeah, it's true. I do that. Do you know that we do the same thing with God? God, I, I know. I'm doing it. I heard you. You said it three times, okay? I'm, I'm getting to it. I, I promise you, I will go down and talk to this person about Jesus. I promise later. And we drag our feet until the wind. Uh, and then God, I was going to do it. I know, you know my heart. I was going to. I had every intention. But I dragged my feet in obedience. God isn't looking for hesitant obedience, church. He's looking for humble obedience. Church, he's not looking for hesitant obedience. And some of us are being hesitant to do the thing that God's called us to do. John Owen says this, the seed of every sin is in every heart. Our hesitancy to, be obe- to obey might be the biggest obstacle for the growth of the kingdom. It's not that we don't want to. It's that we're just hesitant to. We're dragging our feet to the call that God's placed on our lives. Third thing, last thing, Christ is working in our hearts to eradicate prejudices and divisions in the church through hospitable openness to others. A hospitable openness. Now, God not only wants you to open your heart and humility to those who are different than you, but he also wants you to open your home and hospitality to those who are different than you. So let's read. Verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, when Peter shows up, there's a whole party. There's a whole bunch of people waiting on him. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Peter, lifting him up, said, stand up. I'm a man, I I too am a man. And as they talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent, uh, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Hmm. I asked then, why you sent for me? Verse thirty. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in in my house in the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayers has been heard. And your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went for you at once. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Let's stop right there. He is Lord of all. So Peter makes it to this guy's house and he has invited a whole bunch of people to welcome Peter. Peter, we got you here for a reason. What does God want us to know? Let me ask you, what does it look like when you invite people to sit around your table? what does it look like? Is there diversity? Who's invited to sit at your table? Do you invite people to sit at your table to hear about the Word of God? Do you invite people to sit around your table to be brought into the kingdom of God? See, a lot of times we like to use our table to invite people to dinner for ministry, and ministry is great. We want to invite people in. Ministry happens inside the church. This is the difference between ministry and missions. Ministry happens inside the church. I want to bring people in from the church, disciple them, talk to them, uh, fellowship with them. We, we're pretty apt to do that. Let's, let's use our table for ministry. But what if God wants you to use your table for missions? Ooh, what if God wants you to ask people to come to your house for the purpose of hearing the word of God, for the gospel to be, to be expounded on? Are you willing to open up your home to those who don't know Jesus? You see, if you humbly open yourself up to God and live without hesitation towards his obedience, towards obedience in him, you might start being hospitable to others so God can further his kingdom. Let's look at the life of Christ. Let me just go through some verses. Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 7. A few chapters later, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Luke 15, a few chapters later, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Let me ask you, who had a problem with Jesus sitting with sinners? Religious people. Could it be religious people who had prejudices and divisions? Could it be that they had a prejudice against ethnic and racial dress, language differences? Could it be that they had a prejudice against the fact that they don't follow the religious customs that we follow? They don't don't practice what we practice? Could it be that they had a problem with reflectionary prejudice? Uh, They don't look like us. Why does Jesus sit and eat with them? You see, sometimes we make excuses like that too. Well, I can't invite people to my house that don't know Jesus and sit around the table. What would the church people think? I mean, what if I was at a restaurant with some people who, we know don't follow God and somebody from church walked in and they were like, oh, can you believe that they're eating with them? I can invite them over. I don't know what they'll do or say. They might say a bad word in front of my kids. Then what am I going to do? I don't know if I can invite them over because they just, they're just not in my group. Church, what if God wants to use you for missions and you don't even have to leave your house? What if it's just simply you inviting people that you're in contact with throughout the week? Hey, I'd love to have you over for dinner and see if maybe, just maybe, God has been working on their heart before you ever had this dinner appointment. Because he is. He's working in people's hearts all around us. He's asking us, to be used by him to share the gospel. Can, can you imagine what would happen? What, what if this, verse 37, you yourselves knows what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil by, uh, for God was with him. And we are witnesses To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now get this, Peter's in mid-sermon. How rude. Well, Peter was still saying these things, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell and the Holy Spirit just interrupted the sermon. Can you believe that? Can you imagine sitting at your table talking about Jesus and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit show up? Peter was still saying these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. Is there anybody you think is just not not ever going to get saved? Man, what if the Holy Spirit was poured out on them? And it happened because you were hospitable. Let's be a church that sets aside all prejudices and all divisions for the advancement of the kingdom. Amen? We are all called to be part of what God is doing. Verse 46, let me finish with these verses. And they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptism for these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. They were saved. They were saved. God wants to eradicate the prejudices and the divisions that we've erected in our hearts and lives for the advancement of his kingdom. And it begins with humble openness. Will you be a people who pray? Will you be a people who bow your knee before a holy, holy, holy God and say, Not my will, but your will be done. Change my heart and use me for your kingdom. Help me to be forgiving of those because you've forgiven me so much. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com, or subscribe to hear more sermons like this, or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.